Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Church LV podcast. We hope that this word brings you encouragement today. Keep up with everything happening at Church LV by following us on YouTube at Church LV or Instagram at the Church LV. We are about to jump in today, so get ready to take some notes and lean in. God bless. Jesus is in Judea. And it starts off, this chapter is so bizarre. It starts off with some of the strangest scriptures in the Bible. And it says that the Pharisees were spreading a rumor or talking among themselves. These are like religious people. That's how we would interpret it today. People that are like, you know, they're, they're into the act of Christianity, but maybe it's not gone all the way deep into their heart to the relationship aspect of it, right? They look good on the outside, but something isn't quite right in there, okay? So they are arguing that John the Baptist, this is Jesus' cousin, and he came before Jesus. He came to prepare away. He was John the baptizer. He's the cousin that actually baptized Jesus. So the Pharisees are discussing and arguing among themselves that John the baptizer, that, that, that Jesus, I'm sorry, is baptizing more people than John the Baptist. Okay? And then it gives like this funny footnote and says, but actually the disciples we're baptizing the followers, not Jesus, okay? So kind of out of nowhere. Then all of a sudden it says, so Jesus rose up and he immediately said he must get to Galilee and on his way he needed to stop in Samaria, in Sychar, village of Samaria. This is the funny thing. He didn't actually have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. There's three different ways that he could take to get there. But because he was on appointment from his father was the reason that he made the statement that I must go through Sikar. So they walk. They're walking because that's what you did. That's what you did when, you know, it was, it was the time of Jesus. And they're walking with their sandals and they're walking in the desert. And they're on their way to Samaria and they stop at this well, Jacob's well. And Jesus sends the disciples into the village to try to find some food. And as he's sitting at the well, a woman comes. The Bible indicates that it's the middle of the day. There's only one reason that anyone in the Middle East, we can relate because we live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And in the summer, we understand what the heat is like in Jesus' day, okay? So this is the Middle East, so it is hot, people. It is hot. And just like you or I on those days, right, when we get the amber alert because it's too hot and you shouldn't be going outside, so crazy. This is that this is that kind of day. No one goes out in the heat of the day to get water at the well. Interesting fact, you can actually go to this well still today, Jacob's well. It's a very, very famous, it predates, um, predates Jesus into the times of Isaac and Jacob had dug this well. So it's, it's, a, it's a historical point that Jesus is sitting at and here comes the woman. The only reason she was coming that day is everyone in Jesus' day, imagine that you're carrying a clay pot out to a well and it's about ready to get heavier because you're going to fill it with water, enough water for the day. So everyone would get up before dawn, before the sun came up, and they would head out to the well. And that's the time where you would have your, 
social time, right? You would have your, hey, here's the gossip. Here's what's going on in my life, my kid's life. You know, here's, here's what's happening. So the only reason that this woman would be going out was because she wasn't welcome or she didn't want to have to face these individuals. See, this woman was broken. She was passed around. She was abused. She was marginalized. She was rejected. You can imagine the feeling that she felt. The necessity of water was probably the only thing that made her go to that well. But she chose a time where she wouldn't have to see anybody else. She gets there and there's Jesus. And again, just some cultural information at this point. The Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along, and it has a long history. Uh, the Samaritans were seen as, as a mixture. They, the Jews, you know, viewed themselves as a pure race, and Samaritans were like a mixture of both Jewish and, and other nationalities. And so they wouldn't actually acknowledge one another, even if they were in one another's presence. It would be just like a common cultural understanding that you would just ignore that each other was where they were and just kind of go on with your business. And then second of all, to just add intrigue to this whole exchange, um, Jewish rabbis. So Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. It was indicated in this text by his clothing. So it was very understandable who he was. It's like being extra Christian. I grew up in a church and a household, right? We didn't see movies. We didn't wear jeans. We didn't wear makeup. We were extra Christian. Jesus is like extra Jewish. He's not just Jewish. He's like extra. Like he's got the clothes that really say like, don't talk to me, right? And Jewish rabbis, they couldn't even talk to their wives in public. Just imagine that for a moment, right? They couldn't not just talk to women. They couldn't even talk to their own family members that were women in public. Like, this is how Jewish Jesus was. So now he's coming up. So she knows all of these things by the way that he is dressed, by who he is. She knows all these things. She knows the rules. She knows the cultural understandings and the way that it's supposed to be. Come on, we're talking about kingdom culture. We're talking about a different culture. We're talking about whether it's in Jesus' time or our time, right? That we don't conform to the culture around us, but that we stand out. We realize who we are in Jesus and we realize that we live a little bit different, that we live by a different set of rules, not just what the culture says around us. Come on, that we're not just victims. We don't just give in. Come on, but we've been called to a higher standard, a new way of living. Jesus says, get me a drink. This woman stops. She says, how is it that you, a Jewish man, is talking to me, a Samaritan woman? Long story short, Jesus says, oh, if you only knew the water that I have, you would ask me for a drink. She says, how am I going to ask you for a drink? You don't even have a cup. She was a really smart lady. She says, you don't even have a, you're going to give me a drink? He says, trust me. What I have is living water, and you will never thirst again. Now, I love this because we're going to totally beg on the poor disciples. Man, they, they're, just, they're just such, uh, you know, just... Uh, 
characters that are seen over and over in the New Testament. So we just give them such a hard time. Now, we understand they don't quite get it yet, and they really won't get it until the crucifixion. And then even the resurrection, exactly what Jesus was up to. But I love that this woman, she somehow gets it a little bit quicker than the disciples get, right? She's kind of somehow figuring out that maybe, maybe he's not just talking about something physical. So she says to him, Lord, give me this water so that I won't have to come out to this well anymore. Can I reinterpret that for you right now? She says, give me this water so that I don't have to every day be reminded of my reproach, every day be reminded of my rejection, every day be reminded reminded of my abuse every day be reminded that I'm lower than lower than lower that I'm a piece of property to be passed around thank you give me this water so that I don't have to live like this anymore Jesus says okay go get your husband and you know for so long I was taught that oh there's Jesus he's calling her out on her sin you know the funny thing is Jesus never called out any sinner's sin. You know why? People already know they're jacked. Wow! We have Christians, all they want to do is point out other people's sin. But the amazing thing is when you know what's on the inside of you, and guess what? Most People know they're jacked. We don't have to tell them. That is not good news. Good news is that Jesus loves you. Jesus accepts you. Come as you are. Let the Holy Spirit do the changing. We love you. We all know that we are sinners. We are unworthy. We can't earn it or deserve it or work it up in ourselves. We need a Savior. So it's so easy to look at this text. Again, you're following along, right? And to impose a tone that is nothing like the tone Jesus would have ever used. You cannot take a certain set of words and apply your own tone just to fit a worldview that you want to fit so that you can point the finger at everyone else. Jesus never pointed a finger. And I think for the first time, for the first time in her life, she'd been married five times. Interesting fact that I just learned on the discovery portion of this message was it was actually acceptable to be divorced three times. Who knew? But that fourth time, that was setting you over the edge. Such a random fact, isn't it? I love the Bible. It's so crazy. I love just diving deep into it. But apparently that fourth and fifth, that was like, whoo. She was uneducated. She would have no legal rights to make any of these decisions for herself. She would have been rejected by her family at the very first divorce because they would have thought that she was a failure and she didn't live up and there would have been an exchange of money that would have happened. They would have lost money because of her and it was just like a whole big thing. And I think for the first time, a man looked her in her eyes And you can imagine just by the look, the look of our Savior, the look that conveyed so much love and acceptance. For the first time, someone looked at her like she was a human being. 
Like she was worth something. She was worth talking to. She was worth looking into her eyes, understanding what she was saying. And he says, yeah, you're right. And I think he was acknowledging in that moment that what has happened to you wasn't right. But I'm here now. <laughs> I'm here now. And so we pick it up in verse 27. It says, at that moment, this is the moment, the disciples returned. And they were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. Again, because this well is still there for us to go visit, we know that actually quite a few yards away, you can observe the well. So as the disciples are maybe coming around a bend or coming out of a field, and as they're turning around and they're looking at the well, they can see Jesus. They can see the Jewish rabbi talking, conversing with a Samaritan woman. You can imagine what is going on in their mind. My God, we can't leave the Son of God anywhere. Look what he's doing now. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing, I bet. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone Come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. Then the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some of the food that they brought back from the village, saying, Teacher, you must eat something. And then as only Jesus can do, he says the weirdest stuff. Jesus told them, don't worry about me. I've eaten a meal you don't know about. Don't you love Jesus? It's just the best, just the best. Puzzled by this, the disciples begin to discuss among themselves, did someone already bring him food? Again, poor disciples still not getting it. Where did he get this meal? Then Jesus spoke up and said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. As the crowds emerge from the village, Jesus says to his disciples, why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time for their hearts are like the vast fields of ripening grain ready for a spiritual harvest. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. Those who planted spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will, to get, will celebrate together with great joy. And this confirms the saying, one sows the seed and another reaps the harvest. I sent you out to harvest a field that you haven't planted where many others have labored long and hard before you. And now you are privileged to profit from their labors and reap the harvest. So there was many from the Samaritan village 
who became believers in Jesus because of the women's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that it would go down deep in our hearts and bear good fruit today in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? All locations. Yes. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, I've been on a journey in 2021 um, that was really a journey to health. How many like a really good fad anything? Like, like you d you've done keto? Can I see the keto people? Come on. Oh, just fess up right now. I mean, we're all in the same boat, right? You've how many apple cider vinegar? Apple cider vinegar, yep, done that. Yeah, me too. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. I've done like the Epsom, so I've done every fad diet imaginable. I'm not really like a get rich quick person, you know, but I, I would have tried those things if I wasn't so focused on, you know, my diets or this or that. Uh, I'm like the type that like, let's just kill myself exercising once a week, like, you know, or let's go get one of those plates that vibrates, you know, and hopefully I get the results of, you know, uh, of, I don't know, like a bodybuilder, right? And I, I I'm always looking for the shortcut. So this year, I decided at the beginning of 2021 that I was not going to be the shortcut girl anymore, that I was going to go on a journey of wholeness in every aspect of my life, whether it was my finances, whether it was health and wholeness, physically, spiritually, mentally, all of these things, that I was going to embark on this journey. My God, if the last two years have not taught us anything, it has taught us that we must be whole on the inside because the world is going crazy. So as I embarked on this journey, I have a handful of friends that keep me accountable for the goals that I set. I hate them. They are amazing women here at Church LV, and I really am grateful for their accountability. You know, and that once a month text comes through, and I'm like, Oh, that one hurt. Okay, I haven't done anything this month, you know? And But they keep me accountable. And so headed into the new year, I decided I was going to do a cleanse. Now, here's the difference between, right, a fad diet and a cleanse. A fad diet, like most of our culture today, is just focused on end result. It's just about, like, dropping pounds. I don't care if it's water weight. I don't, like, I don't care nothing. I just want to see the scale move. The problem is wholeness redefines what the win is. I don't like that win. Okay. I don't want to eat raw vegetables. I don't want to drink like, like uh, olive oil. Oh, right? Like, I am on a cleanse, and it's like 10 days in, and the problem, the difference between when you're like on a crash diet, and you can just drop five pounds, and you're feeling svelte. Is that a word? That's, I just made that up if, I, if it's not a word. And you're just feeling good about yourself. Woo! You're 10 days into a cleanse, and you feel like poo-poo. <laughs> right? Because the end goal is not the same. All of a sudden... It's not just about results-oriented. It's not just about the destination, but it's about the retraining aspect of your everyday. You're retraining your body not to be dependent on caffeine. You're retraining your body not to be dependent on sugar. You're retraining your body to actually crave vegetables. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
Some of you are like, what's that cleanse? My teenager needs to be on it. Exactly. We are retraining our body so the end result is different. In our culture today, we are so end result oriented. We are about the numbers. We are about accomplishments. We are about the end goal. We very rarely enjoy and embrace the journey. The thing about kingdom culture is if we take an end result oriented understanding and perspective, if we adopt that culture into the kingdom of God, we miss so much. We miss so much of what God actually wants to do in our life because the kingdom is far less about the end goal because in reality, guess what the end goal is? Heaven. Guess what has to happen for you to get to heaven? You die. Oh my gosh. So all of a sudden, whoo, maybe the end goal isn't actually what I'm aiming for in this walk with Jesus. Maybe there's some steps in the journey that I'm retraining my spiritual self to begin to absorb on the journey. Because I don't know about you, I'm not ready for the end goal right about now. There's something about the journey. I love this portion of scripture because I believe that it is rich in application. Go to verse 31 for me. It's rich in application for our everyday lives. I think that there's things on the surface. There's things that are midline. And I think there's deep dives into the scripture that just continue to reveal things for you and I, really principles for you and I to begin to enjoy, come on, reap the benefit from the journey. The disciples, they've gone into the uh, village, and you can imagine right now, again, they are Jewish, so they are eating kosher food. So that's a little bit different than what everybody else might cook. So they've now gone into the village. This was, this was a hunt. This was like they had to go find something that would be suitable for themselves and Jesus to eat. So you can imagine maybe they found just a little bit. Maybe they, you know... They went far and near. Maybe they just found a few pieces to bring back to Jesus. So this was not like an easy task. This was not an in and out drive through run, okay? Now, I want you to put yourself in the position of the disciples because they get it, but they don't get it. Like, they're believing that Jesus is the Son of God, but they're still going to have all these experiences to follow where they definitely question if he's really the Son of God and what that actually means, okay? So we're going to give them a little bit of a break and just imagine for a moment that your boss comes to you and says, hey, I would need you to go out and get me some lunch. And you're like, no problem. And then they ask for something very specific that you need to go get. I need wild caught tuna with avocado oil mayonnaise with sugar-free, I'm just giving you a glimpse into my life right now, with sugar-free apple cider vinegar base, Dijon mustard, because otherwise they're going to put sugar, even if it's honey, you know, and then I need sprouted grain. This is about as specific as these poor disciples were headed into this village that was not a kosher village, that they had to go find kosher food for Jesus, okay? This is very specific. So you go, you go to Whole Foods, and you're buying all this stuff, and $150 later for a sandwich, you come out of Whole Foods, and you're like, all right, I got my boss, his sandwich. This is great. I'm going to head back into work. And you hand your boss the sandwich, and they're like, I have food you know not of. And you're like, oh, my God, you're a weirdo. Quit. No, I'm just kidding. But it's like, 
like these poor disciples. So again, they're confused. They don't really want to ask Jesus, right? So they do what we all do. Like when we don't understand what's going on, we like ask the person next to us. Like, what do did you get her food? Like, oh my God, did he eat the Samaritan woman's food too? Like, what is happening? You know? And he, they're kind of just asking her, how did Jesus, Jesus, of course, he knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're questioning. He knows what they're saying among themselves. And he says, my food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. My food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to, wait, 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 my food is to be doing the will of him who sent me. Oh my goodness, I am a pastor. I have grown up in church. My parents were pastors. If you would have asked me before I actually dove into this passage of scripture, what was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? Guess what I would have recited to you? The end result. I would have said he came to go to the cross. He came to be the exchange for you and I. He came so that you and I could have relationship for all of eternity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven. He came so that eventually there could be a new earth and, and that we could have communion and relationship and worship him forever. That's why he came. And again, how subtle it is for the culture that you and I live in to begin to seep into our theology and understanding of the scripture. Because Jesus is very, very clear. The purpose for Jesus coming to earth wasn't just an end result. It was to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus could have said, hey, I came to save people. Hey, I came to bring people to myself. Hey, I came to heal people. Hey, I came to, 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 to unite the races. Hey, I came to take down sexism and bigotry and, and racism. I came to address these issues in society. Hey, I came to usher in a new world order, right? I came to, I, but no. No, he boils it down to, I didn't come to do what you want to interpret as the end result. We become so result oriented that we forget that actually the growth is in the journey. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I came to do the will of him who sent me. Guess what? Can I reinterpret this? This is a bad word in our culture. It's a bad word. Unless you have a two-year-old, it's a bad, bad word. He's saying, I came to obey. We don't like nobody telling us what to do as Americans. <laughs> oh, man, it's like so funny. All these examples are coming to my mind. But then you'll just be mad at me because I bring up vaccines and all that kind of stuff. And then, oh, hell's going to break loose in church. No, it's really not because there's heaven. It's an open heaven. Amen. It's a joke, everyone. Obedience. <laughs> you know, we come to church and we're like, we need to find out your calling, your mission, what God has called you to do. And what happens 
I, can I just, can I preach? Can I, can I, can I not preach to you? Can I preach to me for a minute? Because, you know, you know what's funny is I take Pilates, which costs me about as much as my counseling does. It's really expensive. And, um, and sorry if, you know, mentioning that offended you. There's lots of really great churches in the valley, and by all means, attend one of those if you do not like my illustrations, which I've heard that there has been some haters, so enjoy. Anyway, so... Pilates this week. And, uh, you know, as a communicator and, and those of you that, you know, are aspiring communicators, are communicators, one thing that you learn in communication is that you are every single day, almost every conversation is an illustration for something that you need, right? And so I love conversations and being, being able to be present in the conversation to hear what even the Holy Spirit is speaking to me through other people. So I'm in Pilates and, um, and my Pilates coach is telling me that I need to, and, and I will spare you the Pilates language because you definitely need a dictionary to speak Pilates. That's probably why they charge so much. And um, and she said, hey, you need to rotate your feet because you need to have even pressure throughout all your toes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, the physical therapist always is telling me that, you know, I, 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 I walk on the sides and blah, blah, blah. And so we're having this conversation. She goes, don't worry. I'm not trying to just I'm not trying to just talk at you like you're the only one. I'm actually saying this because I have the same problem as well. And so what's good is when I rehearse it to you, it actually reminds me to do the same thing. So I'm not just talking at you, she says. I'm actually talking to myself. And I said, no way. I said, that's just like what I do on the weekends. I said, I get up there and I preach. And people think I'm preaching to them, but I'm not. I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) So can I just preach to Wendy for just a moment? Because I've become so results, numbers, accomplishment oriented. I've become so like, well, I just got to get this done. And then I short circuit the daily obedience that God wants me to have with him. And when I become so results oriented is when I get out of whack. I have moments when I'm like feeling like I'm just giving too much. And now I'm depleted because every day, we were meant to just walk in simple obedience. The Bible says here, my food, my food, my food. What is food? Food is energy. Food is life. And depending on the quality of of food depends on the quality of energy that you receive. I don't care what the Snickers commercial says to you. You're going to crash. Okay. I don't care what Starbucks tries to tell me or sell me, I'm going to crash after that. If I binge on sugar, I'm going to feel good for two minutes, right? And then I'm going to crash. And that's why they tell you, you need to have natural sugars and you need to have blueberries. Amen. I guess that's like a really low sugar fruit. That was free. I paid for that, but you get it for free. And you need to retrain your body so that it can sustain energy throughout the day. And that happens by what you feed it. You ever tried to cut sugar, caffeine? Have you tried to cut those things out of your diet? How do you? Yeah, exactly. Someone said no. (laughs) Amen. 
and you feel it so much physically. And you think, my God, how can food affect me this much? First the natural, then the spiritual. My food, what else does food do? Food satiates us. Sometimes it takes a little more food than other times. Sometimes that's why we need diets. But food is meant to satiate or fill us up. What is our energy? Can I reinterpret that into Christian language? What is our grace? That's our energy. That's our spiritual energy. Where does our grace and where does our fulfillment come from? We think it's the end result. But actually, it's the daily obedience. <laughs> I, your food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, Jesus, was being the example for you and I. Why do we have so many burnt out, stressed out Christians. Two reasons. Either we have forsaken daily coming into his presence to hear his voice, or we're doing things he never asked us to do. But both of these things are linked back to worldview. Both of these things are linked back to culture that says just focus on the end results by any means necessary. And so we're burnt out. We're doing things Jesus never asked us to do to either prove a point or prove our worth or receive affirmation or think that somebody's going to accept us because maybe think even God is going to accept us. Or we've become just so focused on, well, I've got I to gotta preach on Sunday that we neglect the daily obedience of being. You know what I love about this? Because Jesus goes on and he begins, talks this, about this kind of this, not really a riddle, but again, he's just continuing to talk in spiritual iterations. And again, we try to interpret them, you know, as earthly, but it's impossible too. And he begins to talk about the sower and the reaper. And most of us didn't grow up in an agricultural society, right? We don't know that it's four months. That's like the first time that you can harvest a crop. You know, we don't know and understand these things. And I think it's easy to think like, well, maybe, maybe he was pointing at the fields that the disciples just walked through. We don't know exactly the timing of when Jesus was talking about this, whether there was fields, whether he was talking about the people that were walking out. But something interesting that I think 
as the band comes back, something interesting that I think that Jesus is trying to help us understand is he begins to say, listen, we're gonna celebrate together. The people that sowed are gonna celebrate just as much as the people that reap. You know, something about sowing and planting, it is very unsexy. Right? I mean, I get it. I get it. Most of us didn't grow up on a farm. We didn't grow up planting a bunch of things, you know, but we for sure in kindergarten planted the bean in the milk box. Come on. Can I get an amen? I'm not the only person. I can't be that old that we don't do this anymore. Somehow it's now a video game, right? I can't be that old. Okay. And we planted the bean in the cutoff milk box and we put it and we watered it every day when we went to kindergarten. Right? So we, we can't be the only, so we understand that there is a process in there, but then here Jesus is talking about all about process. He's talking about daily process, and then he just flips the script. I love it. You know what's something I find interesting? I'm sorry, girls. We're not very good at sound effects. Did you see what I just, man, if Pastor Michael was up here, Pastor Benny was up here, that would have been way cooler. It would have sounded like a helicopter or something. I can't do any of those. They just come out of the womb with sound effects. I don't get it. Sorry if that's sexist. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'll work on it. Um, wait a minute, Jesus, you're just pointing out the process, the daily, the every day, the food, the sustenance. My God, if we only eat once a week, just when we come to church, we're going to be famished. That's why we come crawling back to church week after week, and we don't see the growth in our lives because we're not feeding ourselves. We're not eating. Something that BJ tells me all the time, right? When he's working out and he's lifting weights, right? He is eating so much food. He's eating us out of house and home so much that we had to say, boy, you got to go buy your own eggs. You can't eat six eggs every day. Costco can't even keep up with you. He has to buy his own. Why? Because you have to eat and you have to eat and you have to eat and you have to eat the right things in order to build the muscle. Maybe, just maybe, if we feel like we are crawling to church week in and week out and we can't quite catch a break and we don't understand why somebody else skips in and they're so happy to be at church and we're feeling all irritated and frustrated and burnt out and why does the church just use me and I just give everything and they don't even care about me. Well, maybe it's because you're not eating. I'm grouchy too I'm hangry too I think you're spiritually hangry and you're coming into church and adopting the mindset of this world and the culture of this world that somehow you're a spiritual victim but you're not you're not eating Jesus flips the script now all of a sudden he's like Okay, now the sower and the reaper, they're going to overtake one another. It's like, what? We're just, we're just talking about the process. And now you're just going to be like, nope, no process. Yeah. You know what I think he was addressing? See, when we get caught up in a religious mindset, I know where I'm going, so I'm clapping for myself right now. It's just <laughs> so exciting. I can't wait. <laughs> Oh, when we get caught up in a religious mindset, it becomes about everything about what it looks like. You know what that is? End result. The Pharisees, religious people, 
We're trying to pit John the baptizer against Jesus. They were trying to set it up as a competition. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. There's no competition here. In fact, the person that sows the seed, that labors for the seed, that works hard for the seed, is going to rejoice right along the person that reaps the seed. You see, when we are into the everyday obedience, into the will of God, guess what? It levels the playing field. Listen, Jesus was always about leveling the playing field. Religious mindsets and mindsets of this day want to create hierarchies in every aspect of our lives. Whether you a stay-at-home mom or you a working mom, right? Did you start your business or you work for somebody else how much do you make what school did you go to where did you grow up what skin color what tone are you right and it tries to pit people against one another that's what our culture does are you vexed are you unvexed you republican are you democrat begin to just break down people and label people and put people in boxes but jesus says no i came to level the playing field that every single one of us irregardless of a few opinions we can stand on this together the king kingdom of God, Jesus, his will, Jesus at the cross, crucified, buried, resurrected again, and seated at the throne, seated at the right hand of God the Father. We can rally around this banner. We're not those religious people. Just focus about what everything looks like on the outside but we're the kind of people that say, no, Jesus, every day, every day. And you know what I love? Verse 37. Verse 38, thank you. You guys are great. Where many others have labored long and hard, Jesus never dismissed the work. Jesus never dismissed the effort. Jesus never dismissed the sexism that the woman faced. Jesus never dismissed the racism that was in the disciples' heart. Jesus never dismissed, right, the, the, what, what we have to sometimes expel. In fact, I think that we could better quote the scripture, when I am weak, then he is strong. When I am weak in my body because I have given everything, then he is my strength. He is my strength spiritually. Why could the apostle Paul say that I have learned in all things to be content? It wasn't based on circumstances. It wasn't based on, well, I'm tired, so now I'm down. Oh, but I had a good night's sleep, so now I'm up. Well, I got affirmation, so now I'm up. Well, nobody acknowledged me today in the group text. Right now, I'm down. No, it had nothing to do because all Paul was saying was that in every situation, I have learned to obey the will of God, and it is my sustenance, and it is my grace, and it is my energy every single day. So irregardless of outcomes and circumstances and things that are surrounding me whether I'm good or bad emotionally it doesn't matter I have learned in all things to be content Jesus levels we, we don't need another Pastor Benny and it's not just because you know he's a little bit crazy and I'm married to him and I know him I'm just saying just a joke. 
We don't need another Pastor Wendy. We don't need another Michael, Ivan, Deb, Debbie, Dorinda. We don't need any. We just need you to be you. There's no comparison. God has gifts and callings on you. People to influence and bring to him that nobody else can. This is what begins to eliminate a competitive culture. A culture that's just based on end results and numbers and accomplishments. He says, no, I'm going to retrain my spirit to learn on the journey. 